0: Welcome to the Ad Nauseam Podcast, episode 95. We are creeping toward 100, aren't we, Jeff? Are we going to do something special for that huge anniversary? I've been trying to uh, drum something up here. We got people working on, on it, our uh, intellectual gnomes. Some kind of, maybe some kind of grand giveaway? I don't think so. Oh, no, um, we're not giving away anything. No. <laughs> we'll give away the farm, maybe. Yeah. Uh, no, it's going to be some kind of a best best of... Uh, Greatest Hits. Fantastic. Cheesy Clip Show, I something hope, like that. I,
1: I would hope by 100 episode, we have some actual best of in there somewhere.
0: Yeah, I think we do. Yeah. Somewhere deep, deep down. Yeah. I know it's not in the um, episode, Can You Spare a Square? <laughs> Horror vacui in the Diplon vase. You bring that one up a lot. That, that, I love that. That, it was, that sticks in your craw, it doesn't was, it? Yes, it's it's in my craw. I was very hurtful that the audience didn't care for that. Well, amazing. we slaver, we slaver, we slave and labor away. I know, and and uh, they don't like it. I know. Well, they can always go back and check it out. Okay. 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 Yeah. What's so. one that you are especially fond of? Um, uh, to which the audience did not cotton. I gotta, I gotta say, it's it's uh,
1: the one that we where we brugled the audience. Oh, yeah. Remember that yes. one? Yes. Yeah.
0: Yes, two thin guys eating a fat guy. Oh that yeah, Bruegel painting. That's great stuff. It's genius. Yeah, I just talked about it in my myth class yesterday. That's um the flight, of, the fall of Icarus. The fall of Icarus, right? By um was it Hans Bruegel? Uh Peter. Peter Bruegel. Peter Bruegel, right. Or it's the hidden picture. Where he's kind of kicking his legs in the corner. That's right. And yeah. the, the partridge in the tree that's yes. laughing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But people didn't like it. I mean, well, they
1: didn't pay any attention to it. You think that's so, it? But my, my students yesterday, they were eating it up. They loved it. Hmm. And so I'm thinking that... Of course, their grade depends on it. That's Well, that is true. That's true, right. But um, yeah, Horror Vacu-y,
0: um, the Bruegel episode probably won't make it into the, into no. the, the uh, best of. No, there were yeah. a couple Odyssey episodes that were kind of dogs too. I know. They died know. quicker than Argo upon Odysseus's return. That's right. That's right. hey, wait, let's stop talking about kind of the negative okay, stuff. Okay, all right, all right, all right. That's right. So uh, um, <laughs> you want to start us off I, with well, a, I want to ask how you're doing, Jeff. Oh, I'm doing well. I
1: just finished my first week of classes back in the mm-hmm, semester. So mm-hmm. um, things are really busy and it always kind of, it always, I'm always surprised by kind of um, how much that wave hits yeah. me in that first week. Yeah. Um, but it's been good. My, right. my classes um, seem to be populated with chatty, eager students which mm-hmm. um, helps a lot. Yes. And so uh, I cannot complain.
0: All right. How about right. you? Well, I'm uh, back doing some teaching this week too in the classroom, uh, local seminary, teaching some Greek, teaching some Latin. Nice. Enjoying it very much. Um, students have asked me, are you are you excited about teaching there? I, said, I don't use the E word, you know, right. frankly. You um, don't get excited. No. No? No. <laughs> no. Uh, but I am enjoying it. And, okay. uh, you know, for those of you who teach, you probably have this phenomenon. I'm, I'm not sure. At least I always do. The first week back, my voice is a little strained Yeah, oh, because totally. I'm not used yeah. to talking for say three, four, five hours. You know, right. It's not all lecture, but there's a, a large volume of um, of talking. So that's right. It's, that's it's why you have a big
1: mug of tea with you. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So that, that helps Sip, a little bit. Sip the tea. Or some you, coffee from Ratio. Yeah. Speaking I, of even, coffee from
0: Ratio, it's no, no. Sorry, too soon.
1: So well, I'm glad to hear you're doing well. Yeah, thanks. And I'm, I'm, I'm always, I am always, I do get excited. Yes. Right? Right. And and it's uh, it's exciting for me to hear you about you being back in the classroom, which yeah. is, a, I think, a place where you
0: belong. Well, that's very nice of you. Yes, thanks. I do enjoy that. Speaking of back in the classroom, we yeah. need to give a shout out. Yes. Who's this to? And this goes to one Matt Bell. Hmm. And uh, I asked, can I give you a shout out? And he replied with, Sure! Exclamation point. Fantastic. That's great enthusiasm. He mm-hmm. says, "I am beginning my second year of teaching Latin to grades three six at Westminster Academy in Memphis, Tennessee." Oh, I was just in Memphis. Were you? Yes, yeah, just in, in July. Yeah. Walking with your feet you're...
1: ten feet ten feet off a of beel.
0: There you go. Yeah. I never took Latin in school, he says, but learned Spanish first and mostly self-taught in Latin. Wow. I admire that because, of course, you have to be both a good teacher and a good student. Absolutely. If you're going to be self-taught. Yep. In 2018, during my first year of teaching a little Latin, I attended a spoken Latin bitum with Dr. Noe and colleagues in Fort Worth and I was hooked.
1: Do you, do you remember this, this uh, uh, bitum?
0: Don't put me on this. Oh, I remember the bitum. Yes, yes yeah. very well. Mr. Bell. Do you remember Mr. Bell? His, no. his name doesn't ring something. I got <laughs> to <gotta> say that. <laughs> But we hooked him, you know. We, yep. th- we threw out the line with some Latinate bait on the end yeah. and we got him. So, you want to continue there?
1: Yes, he says uh, on the drive home from that bidwoman, he began to have a dreadful but exciting feeling oh. that he would have to learn and teach this new language. Wow. So, he really felt he wasn't just hooked, he felt like called to share it. Yeah, that's right? incredible. Yeah. He says, I love my job because Latin can feel overwhelming, but I get to make it accessible for such young children. Oh, that's great. Like I I have never taught Latin on that particular level, and and, uh, I find that particularly admirable. It's incredible.
0: I was talking to a former student this week, and uh, she lives here in Grand Rapids. She's teaching at a local school. Um, She stepped into a job that I had gotten started, and I said, how's it going? She said, I have uh, multiple kindergartners who know the forms of essa."
1: That is crazy. est.
0: Sum-es-est, Sumus estis. Estes. Oh, that
1: is so great. That's fantastic. Yeah.
0: So yeah. Matt continues, I am really enjoying listening to the Aeneid episodes to supplement my first reading of the Aeneid. Mm. I have also read the Iliad and the Odyssey in the last year with Noe and Winkle as my guides. Oh,
1: right. A couple Hats of yahoos. Yeah, no doubt. Careful.
0: While I always enjoy the podcast, I think it becomes an extra valuable resource when you do a series of episodes on a longer work. Right. That's good to know.
1: It is good to know. I mean, I know that we both kind of wrestle with it. How, right. How much do you do one-offs or, uh, or series? And, you know, we're, we're, we're knee-deep. Uh, we're not even halfway through the
0: Aeneid right no, now. No, no, we're just it. in book five. Yep, Yeah. And the, the feedback's kind of mixed, you know. So many people tell us, I love those long series. Others, they seem to enjoy the variety more. Yep. So I guess maybe you can't please everybody. You cannot. No. No. How does he wrap it up here? He
1: says, "I uh, says I love to sing and write music in the early American shape note tradition. Do you know what that is?
0: I don't. I was going to ask
1: you. No, I have not heard of that. Don't all notes have a shape? Um, I'm going to have to listen to his stuff to kind of figure this out. Okay. And some of my jams can be heard at uh, MemphisHarmony.bandcamp.com. Oh, we've plugged him now. Excellent, fantastic. Yeah.
0: Check it out. I think.
1: Yeah. <laughs> have you been there? I I have not been to Memphis Uh-oh. Harmony yet. Taking uh, some risks. Right, so. Okay.
0: Thank you so much, Matt, for listening. Yeah. Uh, thanks for the shout out. We really appreciate your Latin teaching. You're keeping the flame alive for the classics and, uh, for being a, a listener to this, to this episode, to yes. this program. Yes.
1: Many, many thanks. Yep. All right. So Dave, what are we talking about? Uh, today we're going to
0: go into Aeneid 5. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're taking, um, resuming, right? This, this, um, multi, Episode look at Virgil's famous work. Yeah. And uh, coming off um, the Renaissance idea of human dignity. Yes. Seemed to be a pretty popular episode. Mm -hmm. People seem to like it. We're going to go back into episode five, which is the funeral games. Right. Now, this one is, uh, to some people's minds, a sleeper. Yes. Right. It's a sleeper. It's like the the Super Bowl halftime show. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. So the sports fans, I think they tune in for the sports, yes. the sporting, the the big guy standing on the sidelines, breathing dramatically, right? Right. Uh, but the halftime show is obligatory. It's got to be there. Yeah. And oftentimes, they're not very good.
1: It, it, that's very true. But I mean, the irony of it is, of course, this book is
0: packed with sports. Yeah, that's it's ironic, right? is there, it?
1: lots of There's lots of games going on there. Right? So you'd
0: think people would love it.
1: Well, you, you know, I have to say this. I remember when we, uh, we wrapped up the last episode. And we were talking about, oh well, we gotta get into book five, making some plans. And I was thinking, ah, you know, that's never been one of my favorites. And it's been years since I read it, but I remember in graduate school, um, my professor in that seminar was kind of stressing,
0: this is a filler book. Really? Right. And he don't thought, give us the name of that person. I will not. Because that's a that's a bad opinion. It
1: is, uh, and right. I and I agree, and I believe that in that seminar we kind of quickly skipped over it to get to book six. And so I think, it, I mean, I'd have to check, but I think if you were to look at like, um, you know, abridged versions of the, of the India, this, oh, yeah. this is probably the, this is one of the books that's cut out,
0: right? Right. Um, it was voted most likely not to succeed in its high school class. <laughs> right,
1: exactly. Poor, poor guy. Yeah, book but, five. But, um, having reread it over the past week, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. Now, I don't know, kind of, in terms of kind of the big, we can cover these big questions, you know, what right. is its place in the larger epic? Yeah. I think that's, that's, um, those, those are important questions, but in terms of just kind of the, the... The raw entertainment of yeah. the book, I really liked it.
0: Yes, and there's also um, some comic moments. Very comic Virgil's moments. Virgil's not known for these. No, and it's often a question in my mind: Why doesn't Virgil have more um, frivolity? Why, why isn't lighter? Why isn't it lighter sometimes? Mm-hmm. Ovid, you know, he can't resist telling a joke. He starts in on something serious, and then nah, he goes nah. for what's funny. <laughs> right,
1: right, right. And right.
0: while I really enjoy that. It makes him less profound. Yes. You know, but Virgil, uh, he just, it's almost wearying how significant are all of his ideas. Right. But not this book.
1: Not this book. And it also really struck me is, uh, you know, when I think about Virgil and at least kind of the, um, you know, the the traditions handed down about him and what kind of man he was, this doesn't strike me a guy who would know a lot about sports. No. But his descriptions of these games Mm -hmm. are phenomenal. Mm -hmm. And he had to have seen these things um, uh, you know, from the front row. Yes, um, yeah, I think you're right. You can't. He no. Nobody could write like this about these things without knowing these right. these games, these kinds of games
0: intimately, or maybe having been a participant.
1: May, may, yeah, that's even more harder to believe. Again, with the <laughs> with the uh, kind of the picture that I have of Virgil, but so at least it shakes that up.
0: For yeah. Me. yeah. Well, let's let's have another comparison here to Ovid. I'm thinking about the story of Daedalus and Icarus, the mm-hmm. famous story. Yes. And there is an there's an element there in which, um, he's describing uh, Daedalus trying to make the wings. He's finishing the, the task. Mm-hmm. And Icarus is trying to help his dad.
1: But he's getting in the way. But he's getting
0: in the way. He's messing it all up. Yes. And I don't think that you could have written that passage with such tenderness and insight if you weren't a dad. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Very good point. You ask your son, hey, you want come help me with this, you know? And if they're very young... You're just really enjoying their company because right. they can't do very much. They can't do very much. But if you don't, if you don't help them, they'll never do anything. Right. right? You
1: just have to resign yourself that this task is going to take about four times as long exactly. as, it, as it ought to, and things are going to be lost. <laughs> right. right. Exactly. So I think maybe
0: Ovid was a dad because how else would he know that? Similarly, yes. Virgil seems to have some keen uh, personal insight into athletics. Yeah. 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 But there are bigger themes in the book too. Yes. There is the rescue of the ships from a Junonian plot. Mm-hmm. Right where Juno tries to torch all the ships and strand everybody on the island of Sicily. Right.
1: She's so desperate uh, for this fate not to um, come to fruition. Right. right, Yeah. So in this, there's, I think there's, there's lots of, I mean, certainly the end of the book is, it takes a, a fairly sharp turn from kind of yes. the light to the
0: serious. That's right. Yeah. And there's tremendous kind of... Um, narrative arc because we will see this individual Palinurus. Mm-hmm. he is the virgilian elpinor yes, right? exactly and elpinor for those of you who didn't bother to listen to all the odyssey episodes you got to tell me to calm down here
1: you're, you're, you're all right yeah just okay, yeah, breathe right. easy
0: breathe easy yeah all right <laughs> elpinor was one of odysseus's crewmen who fell off Circe's roof and ended up in the underworld nobody knew about it till they got there right uh, similarly, Palinurus is going to um, meet a sad fate He is
1: although uh, though his fate is is, is much more uh, unlike Elpinor, it's under the banner of um, he's a, he's kind of a, a necessary sacrificial victim that's
0: right to Juno Yes yeah and uh, so we get him at the beginning of the book mm-hmm. a little foreshadowing and right at the end of the book end of the book so before we get into the details, there's one more important foreshadowing here yeah and that's the character of Nisus Nerealis. They're big in this book. You want to talk about that a minute? Are
1: these, are, are these the guys that are in the, the foot
0: race? That's correct. Yeah. The older man and the younger man, uh, they may be lovers. They're, they're close friends for sure. Uh, Virgil's not really clear on that, I would say. It's had many different interpretations over the past.
1: There's, there is language that, that he says like the one had kind of an intense love for the other. Correct. Right? Which could imply a number of things.
0: That's right. Yeah. And we're not going to try to determine it uh, in the course of our interpretation. Right. Because I don't think you can. Uh, But there's an important event that happens in the foot race, which will be significant for, I believe it's book nine.
1: I'm not, I'm not exactly, I don't remember, I don't follow where you're going with this. Okay, well then. Let's let's hang on to it. I don't
0: want to spoil it for
1: you. I I love that foot (laughs) foot race. I mean, I think it's also imbued with kind of a... A darkly comic, kind of yes. gross-out effect. Yes, it's yeah. grotesque, <laughs> and that's
0: significant too for what happens later on with the Rutulians.
1: Okay, all so right. We'll leave it there. Okay, all right.
0: So, Jeff, we got an opening quote, yeah. don't Sh- we? Shall I read this? I would love for you to do that.
1: This comes from a guy who's who's. I just I love the name. Seems
0: Roger Dunkle, right? Say that again. Roger Dunkle. Is that K L E or K E L?
1: That's K L E, like Winkle. Right. right. So I'm always drawn to people who had kind of an odd last name like myself. Right? Mm-hmm. I'm sure. I'm sure Mr. Dunkle kind of heard some. uh uh, he, oh, some he, he joking got some ribbing. as a kid. Yeah, exactly. Do you sell
0: donuts? Things yeah, like that. Oh, exactly,
1: right. Yeah. Dunkle's yeah, Donuts. Exactly. Another kind of rips on his name, right? Did yeah, you so, get some of that oh, as a kid? Oh, I've heard them all.
0: Well, like, yeah, give twi- us an example. Like,
1: like uh, uh, in fourth grade, like calling me Twinkle Toes. Oh, really? I was supposed to really get my
0: goat, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, Winkle Tinkle. You know, oh, it's terrible. Heard, I've heard them all. Yeah. It, did it embitter you and drive you into a life of classics?
1: It irritated me at first, but it also uh, made me realize fairly early on that says, you know, if I'm going to... Thrive. I have to deliver, uh, develop a sense of humor about myself. Yes, and self-deprecation. Mm-hmm. And and so I think. Have I've, you done that? I have. I have. <laughs> yes, and it's Sorry, been,
0: it's, I know you have.
1: It's been a a, a um a very important handmaiden to my my social life.
0: Okay, so, uh, Roger Dunkel. Yes, this is from a Classical Journal, right?
1: Yep, from um, seventeen years ago, uh, an article called "Games in Transition: Aeneid 3 and 5." So he writes. The funeral games for, of foreign have always posed a problem in the interpretation of the Aeneid. Some scholars have seen Virgil's games primarily as a contrasting interlude with little thematic relevance for the poem as a whole, which I would say my graduate professor he would fall into that camp.
0: Yeah. So the the, the phrase there is little thematic relevance mm-hmm. for the poem as a whole. So okay. that's what we want to think about.
1: It's a it's a it's a just a it's a breath, mm-hmm. a needed breath uh, from lots of intensity mm-hmm. before the intensity cranks up again. Uh, Dunkel continues. For example, R.D. Williams has written that book five, like book three, provides a relaxation of tension, a diminution of emotional involvement on the part of the reader, and a breathing space, and described the games as lighthearted and carefree.
0: Okay. Can I interrupt for a second? Please. All right. So, one of my least favorite activities mm-hmm. is going through TSA.
1: Oh, yes. In you order and, to fly you and anywhere? millions of other people. Yeah. Right? We
0: hate it, don't we? Yes. I should start a club. <laughs> anyway. But when you finally make it through TSA and you put back on your shoes, your belt, all your clothes, you yeah. you, uh, you know get all your belongings saddled back up and you schlep them to the gate and you sit down, mm-hmm. that's a feeling of sweet relief. It's I've very I made true. it. I'm free. They can't stop me now. I'm, I'm on my way to my destination. Yes. That's kind of like how I would see book five, you know, in a shallow kind of way, right? They got free of Carthage. They made it through TSA. Ah. Now they're at the gate. They're ready finally to get into Italy. And it, it doesn't really have much significance. Like sitting around at the gate waiting it's t- it's for the time, plane.
1: You, if you have some time, you can go get a Cinnabon.
0: That's right. right? <laughs> <laughs> or what are those pretzels, those terrible pretzels? Is
1: that the uh, like Auntie Ann's? Yeah, or the, airport,
0: the airport is the last place I want to chew a pretzel.
1: Let's <laughs> <laughs> load up on six pounds of carbs. It's terrible. Right. It's
0: ropey. <laughs> right.
1: I like I like that a lot. Do you so think the, they're ever going to be a
0: sponsor? Uh, <laughs>
1: the pretzel not, people? Not anymore. Okay. Right after this. Um, yeah, no, I like that. So, this is kind of the the beyond the TSA Correct. Uh, episode. You're safe at the gate. Right. I was like, Dunkle continues. Um, Accustomed to the sober tone of the Aeneid as a whole, scholars often find the games an unsettling departure from high seriousness and assign them a diminished thematic significance as if mere athletic contests could not have played an important role in the poet's design.
0: Oh, no, that's an interesting point. Hmm. So, it's not just that it's a breather and it's dull. But there's an anti-athletic kind of attitude that takes um, takes over some scholars.
1: Or this kind of this idea that athletics um, just by default is cannot be serious.
0: You know this this is um, a, a persuasive point uh, for what Dunkel's about to say, I guess, because it it occurs to me that contemporary interpreters of the Aeneid have um, much less appreciation for athletics than the Romans. I think that's true. And the Greeks, right?
1: I think that's true of um, humanity's academics writ large. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, well,
0: okay. Okay.
1: But no, couldn't that be true? Some kind of ingrained... I mean, because all the cool popular kids were the ones on the basketball team. And so you kind of grow up with kind of this you know, fist shaking.
0: Um, <laughs> so you're making a broader social point. I if you went into academia, yeah. you may have had a little bit of a chip on your shoulder about athletics already. I
1: think. Am I painting with too broad a brush? No, I don't think I mean, so. I t- the, the captain of the football team, I don't think you find a lot of those uh, in the higher halls of academia.
0: Andrew Luck. We've talked about him before. Who's that guy? Who's Andrew that? Luck, former uh, quarterback for the Indianapolis Colts. Stanford graduate. Okay. So not a dim bulb. Right. right? And uh, he got all the linemen reading the Iliad. Oh, that's right. You told me about yeah, that. Yeah. like to get him on the podcast. I exactly. can't, can't find him, but... so but
1: Mr. Luck, the exception, there's not the rule. A, Yes,
0: exactly. He is the exception that tests the rule, that proves the rule. Right. So I think you're right. If you are a, a, a scholar and academic reading anything about athletics... It could be you're not taking them as seriously as an ancient audience would. Sure. For whom it was all consuming. Exactly.
1: And especially if you consider like, what's the best way to honor someone who has just passed? Right. It's the performance of games. You know, right. how, that's, how can that not be taken seriously? Yep. Right. So, all right, let, let, me, let me move on. Just a, a few more lines here. For instance, call uh, writes, Susan Wiltshire has argued that the ship race in book five is relatively free of meaning beyond the immediate, immediate release the games pro- provide while Steve Farron has called the games much more re- irrelevant to the epic's plot than the contests in Virgil's models. Hmm. In view of these scholars, Virgil's games are an episodic digression from the epic narrative. Other voices, however, have suggested a more significant role for the games in the thematic structure of the Aeneid. In the early 1960s, Brooks Otis, there um, our guy,
0: yeah, Uncle Brooks, all right,
1: noted Books 5 anticipation of the Iliadic future in this otherwise Odyssean narrative. Now, hmm. I, I already like that. Yes. I I like that. So because
0: as we know, if I can just help the audience a little bit here, Mm -hmm. books one through six are called Odyssean, right? Mm -hmm. And books seven through 12 are the Iliadic portion. Yes. Right. So the first six books of the Aeneid, uh, Virgil is telling of sea voyages and all this kind of stuff. Seven through 12 is war in Italy. Right. So one of the ways that he uh, pays homage to Homer, but um, innovates is reversing the order.
1: Yes, exactly. Right. Right um so yeah so uh dunkel writes that uh mr otis brooks uh notes this anticipation of the Iliadic future uh specifically in book nine mm-hmm. which i which you were referring to at the top of the episode right, right. we're hanging out to so i'm gonna i'm gonna stop it there i mean the, the okay. rest of it just kind of is it is just adds another couple of voices uh, to that but so otis will be a scholar who says no, no 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 there's a lot more going on here than just simply a break in the in the seriousness. Right? Absolutely. So I guess some scholars they 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 like their Virgil serious and they want him to stay serious. Mm-hmm. They're uncomfortable with, with Virgil kind of delving into the lighter into the comic. Right?
0: right. I think that's true. But Dunkel says they've partly missed the point. It's not simply that book five is light, but book five has significant themes in there as well mm-hmm. that they have overlooked because of a I don't know a prejudice against athletics having broader human significance. Yeah, maybe that's going too far, but that's kind of how I read his comments. Mm-hmm. Can I read a little bit of um, the the Brooks Otis that he references? there? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You got it. So, you got it there. Yeah, it's uh, two opening quotes, um, and you can interrupt me, please, as often as I did you. So this is Brooks Otis, line 270. There is an undertone of calamity in the joy of Book Five. An undertone of joy in its calamity. Now maybe that's a little too cute. What, I don't. Even, I don't even get what he's what he's aiming okay. at there. So book five, he says, quote, is a most subtle and complex composition, in which nothing is quite what it appears at first sight to be. Okay. So the games are not just the games; they have a deeper uh, meaning to the epic as a whole, and the events at the ships, the burning of the ships, they have a deeper meaning as well. Mm. And it's a mix of tragic and sad elements and lighthearted elements. Yeah. He says a final and, and in fact, a final synthesis of both at the end. There are two central episodes, according to Otis: anniversary games and ship burning. So those are the two things that shape the whole book. Anniversary games, uh, anniversary in honor of, of, of Anchises. Yeah, the death of Anchises. Right. It's the one-year anniversary. Right. Right. Of Anchises' death, they are surrounded by a prelude and a postlude in which the gods appear, and enact their will through the helmsman Palinurus. The book is begun and closed by divine action. Yeah,
1: yeah, 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 exactly. And I would, I would, ju- I would extend that by saying the, more or less the book, the the book is book ended by a ship race um, and ended with ship burning, right? Yes. And so I think I, there is a there is kind of a um, you know a, a ring structure to the to, mm-hmm. the to the text that I think yeah maybe a lot of people have missed because of uh, there's been this this sense that well this is a book that should be. Dismissed. Yeah. We'll go over it. We'll just kind of skip over it. We'll skip over it, right. I'll give you the basics, but let's get to book six.
0: Yeah. Let's leave the TSA, but let's get to Hawaii. We're not going to really spend any time at the gate. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I think we should start out, if it's okay, Mm -hmm. uh, with reading a little bit of Latin right at the beginning of the book. Yeah. And then we can talk about the character of Palinurus. All right.
1: So, Dave, read us some Latin there.
0: Okay. So, I'm going to read the first couple lines down through the middle of line four and then pick it up in lines 11 and 12. Inter medi meri aeneasiam clausa tenebat, queritus iter fluctus quatroz aquilonis ecabat, moenia redspicientes quae iam infelicas fe, in elisai, conluquent flamis quae tan ignem, and then down to lines eleven and twelve, noctia mem at inhorduit Unde tenebris, ipsa guber nator puppi palenudres ab alta.
1: Very nicely done.
0: I, I slipped up a couple times. I don't know if you heard that. Hopefully the audience didn't notice.
1: Um, are you going to beat yourself up about it? Yes. I, that's going to <laughs> yeah. be a problem for the rest of the episode?
0: <laughs> yeah, for the rest of the night.
1: <laughs> All right. I'll, but let me give you a Lombardo's translation, which will also include the, inter, the intervening lines. Excellent. Well. By now, Aeneas was out at sea with his fleet, holding course the waves darkening under a cold north wind and looking back at the walls of Carthage lit with the flames of Dido's pyre. The cause of the fire was hidden. But the terrible pain of a great love, defiled, and knowledge of what a frenzied woman could do gave the Trojans grim presentiments. When the ships were out on the deep water with no land in sight, but only sea and sky, a cobalt cloud loomed overhead, bringing night and storm, and the waves shuddered with shadows. Palinurus, the pilot, cried from the high stern, Look at these storm clouds ringing the sky. What are you doing, Father Neptune? Hmm. So it starts, you know, for a, a light... Yeah, a lighthearted book. It starts very darkly.
0: Yes, it does. Yeah, yeah We have uh, Aeneas pondering the death of his love, unhappy Elisa. In other words, Dido. Uh, we have the storm kicking up and Palinurus calling upon the gods right at the beginning. Mm-hmm. At the beginning, Pater Neptuna.
1: Yeah. So this is, um, I mean, the uh, you know a storm gathering. It's almost become kind of a hackneyed device for you know bad things are on the horizon. Right. We have you know the weather uh, suggesting. Um, you know, bad things both above and below. Mm-hmm. And so, and even and I mean, Virgil's not hiding this, you know, gave the Trojans grim pre-sentiments. They know right. something bad is on the rise. Yes, And so, I mean, in some cases, I mean, we could see these, these games as the, okay, we're going to take a complete left turn here. We're going to wash our hands. We're going to do something completely different. Right. We're going to get our minds off everything that has just happened, mm-hmm. right? But you can only do that to, to, uh, uh, to a certain degree.
0: Yes. A little we, little pop quiz. Yeah. John Fogarty song. Yeah. Which one?
1: Uh, there's a, a bad moon rising. There you go, it, bad moon rising. Exactly, right. Was
0: that Credence or Fogarty Independent? I believe
1: that was Credence, right. Okay. You know the the famous mishearing of that lyric? No. Though, um, there's a, so there's a, a bad moon on the rise.
0: That's right. There's a bathroom on the right. <laughs> <laughs> That's a mondegreen, right? Mondegreen, exactly. Yes. Yeah, I forgot about that term. Died in your barn tonight? Yeah. That was a good episode, by the way. <laughs> it was, yeah. I had a Palinurian moment the other day. Please. I was uh, walking home from the gym. Yep. And um, it just started pouring buckets. Yeah. Pouring buckets and the lightning was cracking close. And I thought, um, what are the odds I'm going to get hit by lightning, right? Here they find me on the grass, you know, struck by lightning. Yeah. I thought, should I take shelter here in, you know, the, the large institutional building? I thought, nah.
1: And you, you stepped out. I kept out. walking. Yeah. Yes.
0: It was... a. Uh, there's a Latin adverb of which I'm particular, particularly fond, mm-hmm. urceatim, urceatim. Urceatim. It means raining buckets. Raining buckets. Yeah, coming down bucket by bucket. <laughs> Isn't that nice? <laughs> that is great. So that was ominous. Yeah. The, the sky was dark. It was glowering like Palinurus. But it wasn't going to stop you. Well, no, because I didn't have far to go, and I thought I'm already drenched anyway. Yeah, the odds of getting hit by lightning are low, very small. So I keep right. going. Yes, but palinurian nonetheless. Palinurian. Yep. You encountered something like that before?
1: Um, I mean, I I, I remember kind of moments of driving where the rain is coming down so hard that the uh, you know, your windshield wipers can't
0: even keep up. Oh, with that's it. terrible. And you have
1: to. You have no choice but to pull over or crash
0: underneath an overpass yes typically yeah that's where people like to cluster <laughs> it's true it's true mm-hmm. so the safe route is uh, not to go on but to stop again mm-hmm. and where are they gonna stop they're
1: gonna stop in sicily okay yep so uh we learned that there is well we, as we we learned earlier right there are there are trojans there mm-hmm. um is it a, is it a, a kestis who's that's there? correct the, the king of this local area that's right and that's where anchises died and was buried and they'll say, we're going to stop here again.
0: Yeah, it is the site of the um, the historical town of Aegesta. Yeah. So Aegesta was very important to the Romans right. because eventually they took over all of Sicily in the First Punic War. Right, that's right. So you got the, Carthid, you know, the Carthaginians mm-hmm. down on the shores of North Africa, modern-day Tunisia and Libya, and, um, of course, the Romans in Italy. Sicily was the coveted object in mm-hmm. the First Carthaginian War. Yes. And the Romans eventually took it after enormous struggle. So I think part of Virgil's purpose is to give us a little travelogue. These are the names of the places, and they're conveniently named after men from Aeneas's crew. Right, right. And which is funny. It's it's uh it's charming. It in a is way. charming.
1: No, I really, really like that a lot. Right. Um so um I, did you get the sense that they this so we, we have to stop, right? The, the, you know, the weather is, is 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 bad, the god is looks like the Neptune's against us. Right. Do you think there's kind of also kind of uh, the sense that but, there's a worry about: Are we going to overstay our welcome? You know, this, hmm. this, you know, I guess he's already gave us Zanía. Right. He welcomed us once. Is he going to be overjoyed to see us all, you know, pulling through into the drive-through again? Right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't have that sense, but no? it, it is a little bit reminiscent of. It is a little bit reminiscent of Jason, and when they first sail away, I cannot remember the name of the island. We'll have to do a mini-series on Apollonius of Rhodes. Oh,
1: fantastic! Yes, some
0: of the hardest Greek ever written. Um, I've
1: they, never read that one. Is it, is it bad? Well, I've
0: never read more than, I don't know, three, four hundred lines max. Not even a full book, but it is really difficult. Greek. Okay. It's challenging. So his Argonautica yeah. and Jason, I'm trying to remember the name of the island. I'll have to look it up during the break. They land on the island, right? They are welcomed... They sail away, they come back at night, and it's a case of mistaken identity. Oh, yeah. And they f- and they fall to warfare and um, they end up annihilating most of the inhabitants. That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So this is similar, of course, but it's much more civilized because Virgil's a different poet, right? Yeah. And he's the poet of civilization, right?
1: Right, right, right. I, I, I just, it just, I'm just thinking out loud. I wonder if for scholars who maybe don't care so much for this book, part of it is that it's, it seems I don't maybe a little bit lazy on Virgil's part. Send them back to where they've already
0: been. Well, I think that's more of a modern obsession, maybe. With, with originality. Yeah, yeah, true. I mean, we like to we like to revisit. I I like to revisit places that are familiar. Oh, me and too. And the same yeah. things. That they experienced before don't happen here. There are new experiences in the same setting. Yeah. Okay. So maybe people feel that way, but I I don't I wouldn't find that a very legitimate criticism. Yeah. Okay. Go back to the same spot. Right. 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 Um, Acestes welcomes them, and then Aeneas realizes, hey, it's the one year anniversary of Dad's death. Mm-hmm. So let's celebrate. Let's yeah. let's uh, not celebrate in the sense of have a good time. We need to mark it by something significant, right?
1: And so, th- thus the uh, the funeral games, mm-hmm. right? And there are, um, I mean, the the uh, the whole thing starts with a number of of kind of ominous, well, not um, ominous portents, but lots of kind of signs, mm. uh, divine signs. You know, these the uh, the snakes that crawl out, you know, from right. you know, around the altar. There's all these signs that uh, Enki's spirit seems to be very, very present at this moment. And right. He even shows he, he appears in a vision at the end of this of, of this of, of this book um so it's not just the games themselves but it seems like this is ordained by um the the gods and by the spirits below that this is a very good thing that Mm -hmm. that needs to be done
0: and preparatory for book six yes which is part of brooks otis point and those who see in book five uh, more significance because you know just to let the audience know if they haven't read the Aeneid before Book six is the descent into the underworld, the yeah. catabasis. Yes. And when Virgil, when Aeneas goes down there, of course he meets his dad. Right.
1: Uh, he, as his dad in the in the vision in this book tells him, this is what you got to do. That's right. correct.
0: Right. So book five is very important for those reasons. It
1: is. Yeah. Um, it, what really struck me about this book, or a number of things struck me about this book is, is beyond those opening lines, there's no more talk of Dido. There's mm-hmm. no more talk of Carthage. It's she a, does appear in book six. She book, appears in book six, but. Um, I think that this, this almost desperateness to forget that right. episode, I think that's part of this.
0: Well, this is part of, uh, yes, it's part of Aeneas moving on. Yeah. He can't get over Dido completely until he's gone through the events of this book.
1: Mm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, Now, another thing that, that, that struck me is, did it strike you as odd that Aeneas himself does not participate in these games?
0: Uh, in a sense, yes, because the Homeric heroes do participate. Do they not? Odysseus... And, and Ajax have the Agon over Achilles' armor. Right. But Achilles does not participate in the games. He is the one who sets the prizes. Mm. So in that sense, um, these men are so much larger than life that it's not a fair fight. Yeah. Right? Achilles can't compete necessarily because he's the swiftest by far. He's godlike. It's, it's more like... Um,
1: but, so you're saying it's almost beneath him?
0: Yes. Well, mm. it wouldn't be fair. It's more like adults setting up the games for the kids.
1: Ah, okay. I um, that fair enough. I mean, what struck me is that I mean, I think maybe the obvious corollary is the funeral games, where which you know Odysseus and Ajax are are pitted against each other. But it also struck me that this also reminds me of um, uh, the scene in I forget which book it is in the Odyssey, where Odysseus competes with the young men of Phaeacia. Oh you know, yes. Before they know who he is. Right. And they're amazed by how this old guy is right. just running circles around them. Mm-hmm. So it's but it. So it struck me as it frustrated me that Aeneas isn't participating because again he's such a cipher in so many ways. Right. So we, we what makes him heroic? This would be a great chance for him to at least maybe win the javelin toss. You want right?
0: to get to know him. You want to yes. see. You want to see his excellence. That's reserved for uh, the the scene of battle. You know the Iliadic seven through twelve. I, I get what you're saying, mm-hmm. but it's kind of like a superhero impulse, right? You're kind of hoping, come on, Aeneas, turn green, right? right. Do your thing. You're, <laughs> yeah. the, you're the greatest. Come on. Come on. Let's see what b- you b- but got. But
1: he won't. Yeah, but he won't do it. No. And instead, he's just, he's the, I mean,
0: he's the master of ceremonies, right? right. He's
1: giving out gifts. He decides that in some ways, it's, everybody gets a trophy day. That's right.
0: <laughs> uh, <The> participation <laughs> ribbon. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. He's pulling out the juice boxes, slicing the apples, you and know.
1: I, I thought it was, it struck me also as maybe unintentionally comic about, Where's all this stuff coming from right? It reminds me well, you ever, those are
0: the questions you're not supposed to ask I know, of but the epic right? me,
1: did you did you grow up watching uh, Gilligan's Island of course right and yeah. so you know the 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 Howells yes. have you know for a three hour tour they bought you know years' worth of, of, yeah. of clothing right?
0: <laughs> yeah. that's right, of course, I watched gilligan's Island
1: <laughs> so Aeneas here I mean it's like it's like um the his ships are like the USS Minnow, yeah, and he's just got he's got crates full of this stuff that he's just given away, yeah. yeah.
0: Well, you know, he's he's a stand-in for Augustus, right? Right. Yeah. Right. And, and Augustus uh, took the city of clay and turned it into a city of marble, right? Right. right or right. city of brick, yeah. And turned it into a city of marble. So mm-hmm. Aeneas, you know, he's got to have the large s.
1: Yes, exactly. He's the
0: swag master. He
1: is the, totally the swag master. That's in this correct.
0: Episode, right? I'd like to read a little bit of um, Ian Johnston.
1: Oh, I, I like Ian Johnson. Does that a name lot. ring a bell? He does. I, I use his translations and commentaries of tragedy all the time.
0: No, I'm talking about the guy who plays for Manchester United.
1: Oh, the the, the uh, No, I'm not. The I just it you know, up.
0: <laughs> I think Manchester United is a badminton club. Is yeah, that that's right? what okay. it is. Exactly. So, this is the funeral games in Homer, Iliad 23. And I think you will see here there's some incredible resonance. First Achilles set out prizes for swift charioteers. For the winner, a woman skilled in fine handicrafts and a tripod with handles holding 20 measures. For second place, he let out a mare, six years old, unbroken, and with a mule foal in her womb. For the man who came in third, this is for the chariot race, he set out a cauldron untouched by fire. You know why? Because you can never scrub the fire and the grime off the bottom once you put it on the stovetop. <laughs> <That's> very true. <laughs> a fine piece which held four measures. For fourth place, he set a prize of two gold talents, while the fifth place prize was a two-handled bowl, once again, not yet put on the fire.
1: Right. So the, the, the fifth place gets basically a water bottle. That's right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> An Achilles-themed water bottle.
1: <laughs> we had to go from two gold talents right. down to a, a sippy cup. Yeah. And
0: a, and a woman in the first place who's skilled in fine handicrafts right. should yeah. make you a pair of mittens or something like that.
1: Right. And I believe in, in Enead 5, there is a, a, a woman from Crete. Foloe. I was drawn to just kind of the that
0: name. Yeah, the interesting and name. And I think
1: Virgil uh, mentions that um, part of the draw is that is she's skilled in handicraft.
0: Yes, isn't that interesting? Yeah. It's very interesting that uh, I'm, I suppose giving away a woman um, as a prize in sport is tasteless and oh, I- for... immoral, unethical, and right. so forth. Uh, so I would never defend that. But the odd, the odd part about it is they're not really treated as objects of desire i mean maybe the men are going to use them in that way Mm -hmm. not to be indecorous but that's not how they're presented not here they're presented as skilled in domestic tasks right 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 strikes me as odd yeah
1: yeah i mean maybe that's something to do with well no never mind i I don't don't want to better not speculate yeah yeah, better not to speculate Mm
0: -hmm. speaking of mittens yes it's time for the ads okay
1: This episode of Odd uh, Nauseam is brought to you by Ratio Coffee. Now, Dave, um, I think something we share is Uh-oh. we both we both enjoy watching uh, track and field. Yes, this, I love it. Uh, track and field is my absolute favorite. Um, really, it's my favorite sport to watch. Did
0: you watch the uh, World Championships in Oregon?
1: I did not. Oh, I, you I missed out on so much. I, oh, I know, I did. Now, we can talk about that later. But sometimes, well, hold on now. Yes,
0: can I interrupt you again? Yeah.
1: <laughs> I'm sorry. This is, I will bring this around to coffee. I promise. Okay. Okay. Yeah.
0: Uh, I think next summer the World Games are in um, Hungary. Okay. Let's have like the ad nauseum uh, World Tour. We'll go to Hungary and watch the track and field championships.
1: That would be a dream for me. Yeah. Is, Absolutely. is that where
0: they invented goulash?
1: Uh, yeah. Oh, exactly. Oh man. The, the, the goulash. Goulash is, is huge. And buckets and buckets of goulash. <laughs> uh, no, sorry. Was, was it Urkriatum? Ur- <laughs> <Ur-Kreatum>. Urkriatum. <laughs> Urkriatum. So, yeah. but the coffee. The co- so. But sometimes the problem is that, like uh, you just mentioned, these championships are held many, many time zones away. Right. And sometimes I want to watch them live. Yes. And so I'm up, I'm watching track and field at like three in the morning. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to stay awake. So know what I need? I need a good cup you of need coffee. A good cup of
0: coffee. Right. Well, one of the reasons to watch sporting events live is that inevitably you will find out the result accidentally. If you watch it recorded or delayed, yes, right, you can tell. Don't tell me, don't tell me what happened. Don't tell me what happened. Exactly, because I'm gonna, I'm gonna watch it as though it were live. Yeah, you just can't. Succeed.
1: You can't do it. It's so hard to to avoid the spoiler. That's right. right. But coffee can help. It can help. So what you do is, if you're watching the uh, the World Track Championships, mm-hmm. they're taking place in Uzbekistan, <laughs> um, you brew up. You brew up your your uh, your cup with your ratio six or your ratio eight. Yes. These wonderful state of the art machines.
0: Now you like that country because it has your wife's name in it. Uzbek maybe that's it. I yeah. never realized that. Yeah. Because right there, Uzbekistan. Uzbekistan
1: right. I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna start calling her that. Yeah. She'll love that. Just Don't mm. fault me for it. <laughs> so yeah. So if, and if you're gonna if you're gonna be drinking coffee that later any time of the day, you want you want a machine that's right. not gonna waste your time. No. Right. So that's both right. both you and I currently we have the ratio eight.
0: That's right. You graduated
1: from the six. I did. Mine's, the, mine's got the stainless steel finish. Right. What did you do with the 6? I, I still have it. Oh, you're hoarding, it. I still have you? it, right? Well, I, the, uh, my 8 has the, uh, the hand-blown borosilicate oh, glass. Oh, that's so nice. Which is great um, and particularly wonderful if you're drinking coffee right away. Right. But my 6 has the, the that hulking flagon. That's correct. Which keeps the, the coffee warm mm-hmm. without the scorch pad you, for
0: hours. You can get one of those for the 8. I know. You, know, you can upgrade. I know, I know. Yeah, I, need, I, I need to do that. I'll hook you up with Mark here. So, I'm going to read something a little bit, if I may. Please. Uh, from the Racial Coffee blog... Okay. Do you know they have a blog? I did not. Quote, one of the tricky things about brewing fresh coffee is that when water comes into contact with the grounds, they let out a bunch of trapped gases. Oh no. Mostly in the form of carbon dioxide. If not properly accounted for, these gases can have a pretty big impact on the resulting brew. Wow. Wow. Luckily, your ratio handles this for you, whether you knew it or not. Is is he talking about the bloom stage? That's right. Here we go. The term, (laughs) you're getting excited, aren't you? (laughs) The term used to describe this reaction between between grounds and water is bloom. Bloom. And it's no coincidence that all ratios have a bloom phase of their brewing process. It's the first stage. It is the first stage. To illustrate why this is so valuable, you can simply compare what it's like to brew coffee with and without a bloom. To give you a good view of what's going on, try simply brewing two batches of pour overs in the Ratio glass carafe. Wow! And then you'll find, with bloom and without bloom, there's no comparison. So you,
1: you want a bloom? Ratio is so confident they say, test it yourself. Exactly. Right. Don't take our oh, word for it. Right. Right.
0: Yeah. So these like are that, like that old uh, Clara Peller uh, commercial, right? Oh,
1: uh, it? Where's the beef? Where's the
0: bloom? Where's the
1: bloom? <laughs> <laughs> so, listeners, if you want one of these wonderful machines, uh, you can go to ratiocoffee.com. And you can choose either the six or the eight or both if you if you want. Yeah. Um, it's an heirloom
0: piece. It's an heirloom piece. It's not like you're going to buy it and throw it away in a, a month, a year, a decade. No way. You're going to have it. It is so consistent. It is so
1: consistent uh, every time. Uh, great coffee. Uh, so find your machine, type in your coupon code ANCOV4. ANCO,
0: so Ad nauseum Coffee V4.
1: V4, and that will get you 15% off That's whatever right. you order.
0: Yeah, check it out. This episode is also brought to you by Hackett Publishing. Now, the good folks of Hackett Publishing, with offices in both Indianapolis, Indiana, which is in the Central Time Zone, that's true. a
1: well, split. They have that weird thing where like half
0: is east yeah. and half central. It's really annoying. Yeah, but I'm pretty sure that Indianapolis is, is, central. is central. Okay, yes, please go and, on. Yeah. Cambridge, Massachusetts is the Eastern time zone. Yes. They have offices there and they ship high quality classics themed and other kinds of books around the country. And they've been doing so for 50 years. Mm-hmm, exactly. The golden anniversary. Yep. That, that's this year, right. Um,
1: I love Hackett. I, I, I love how they took a chance with a couple of knuckleheads like us. Right. right. They've
0: been with us from the pretty much the very beginning. It's going on two years now. Yeah. In fact, it is two years. It is. It's been uh, yeah. Yeah, almost exactly two years. And we called them up and said, hey, we got this little podcast. We get what? maybe one download per day, right? (laughs) half a download. Exactly. And that's my mom, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The next day is my mom. Would you like to support? And they said, what classics? We're on it. We're in. We'd love it. Yeah.
1: There was was very, there was no hemming. There was very little hawing. No hemming or hawing. Hawing, Right. So um, I love these guys and and, um, I love how faithful they've been Mm -hmm. uh, to, to this podcast and I love their product too.
0: It's fantastic. I'm at the website right now and I'm looking at three sample items. So the first is on the left side, the Greco-Persian Wars, a short history with documents by Eric Jensen. Hmm. This is from their series called uh, Passages, Key Moments in History. So they're trying to give you an an eyewitness uh, front seat look at these important moments. Right next to it is Nazi crimes and their punishment by Michael Bryant, 1943 to 1950. So about the Nuremberg trials, right? Wow. So you've got the Greco-Persian Wars, Source documents, right next to it, Nazi crimes, so something in the 20th century. And then the third one is the Indian Rebellion, 1857 to 1859. So I think this is about the British presence in the Indian subcontinent. A short history with documents by James Fry. Fantastic. What a smorgasbord of of high-quality material. And these
1: spotlights and these really key moments in in world history. Fascinating. Fantastic. Right. So, um, I, as we've said countless times on, the, on this podcast, I've used Hackett uh, in, my, in my classroom. I have the book, uh, Hackett books on my shelf. Um, clever artwork... My um, students love them, um, both for the translation, but they're so affordable. Right. Um, they're not gonna. They're not gonna uh, uh, jack up the price. And no.
0: Break the bank. Break the bank. But yeah. they don't compromise quality. No. It, the scholarship is excellent. The uh, volumes are um, attractive. Yes. So, listener, this is what you should do, in our humble opinion, go to Hackett Publishing, H-A-C-K-E-T-T com. Check out their wide selection. Make your own selections. Put them into the little grocery satchel. Yes. And when you get to check out, you need to put a coupon code in there.
1: Yes, and that code is an two zero two two.
0: An two zero two two, and what will that get you, Jeff?
1: That will get you two wonderful things: twenty percent off your entire order. Wow. And free shipping. Check it out. Do it. All right, Dave. So as we get back into it, we, ha- we should probably get to some of these actual games yeah, we've been talking we about, right? So it, it starts with a with a with a ship race. Yes,
0: a regatta. A
1: regatta, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and would you read a little Latin before would, we I dig into the to. into the into the meat of this?
0: Yes. Because so, can you just uh, set the stage a, a minute? Uh, so for those who are familiar with the Latin, they're going to be able to understand some of what I'm saying. They're going to hear it mm-hmm. if they have a little context.
1: Yes. So uh, they they call Aeneas calls the ship race, um, and four competitors step forward. Uh, we have uh, Menestheus, uh, Gaius, uh, Sergestus, and Cloanthus. And, they, okay. they, and each of them has a, um, a big, fast ship, and, they, and each ship is named as well. Yeah. It's, it's really, really quite cool. Right. And yep. they
0: got to they gotta go out to sea. They got to round a rock and mm-hmm. come back again. Is yep. that right? Yep. Okay. So I'm going to read a little bit of Latin here, starting in line 114. Uh, I think I'll read, I don't know, five or six lines. Prima pares in aeunt gravebus certamena remis quatuor ex omni de lectae classa cerdrinai, veilocem nestius aget acri remega pristim, moxitelus nestius genus aquo nomena memmi, ingentem que genti ingenti mola iram, Urbis opus triplici pu basquam dardana dana vursu, terno consurgunt ordinaremi, remi, ser gestus tenet aquo nomen, nicely done thank you i did more than six or seven because it's so much fun and we got to get all those names in there it's
1: good so jeff what does it mean here is lombardo's rendering of that four ships entered the first contest well matched in orage the pride of the fleet the swift leviathan was captained by menestheus now um i don't have the latin in front of me
0: that's Pristim. Pristim. Where does, how was that Leviathan? I, you, know? you know, I don't know. Okay. I'm going to have to do some research on that. Okay. I don't think it's a bad translation. I think Pristis is an unknown sea creature.
1: Okay. I got you. Okay. So the swift Leviathan was captained by Menestius, namesake of the Italian clan of Memmius. Gaius commanded the huge chimera, a trireme the size of a city. Wow. Rowed by pretty Dar- big. That's <laughs> very big. <laughs> Rowed by Dardanian youth sweeping their oars in three ordered tiers and propelling her on. Sergestus, namesake namesake of the house of Sergius, rode in the great centaur, and Scylla, a sea blue vessel, carried Cloanthus, once your family, Roman Cluentius.
0: Mm -hmm. So you know what he's doing, right? He's saying that these are the great, great ancestors of famous Roman aristocratic houses, Uh like Memmius and uh, Cluentus and um, Sergius, right? So it's a way, um, what do they call this? I heard this term recently. It's fan service.
1: Ah, fan service, right. Have you heard that before? Sure, exactly. It's like uh, at the the end of the latest Ghostbusters film, um, a a few of the original Ghostbusters show up. Right. right. We talked about this. We did. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, pure fan service. Right.
0: Right. Because um, his audience, his aristocratic audience, hey, that's my great-great-grandfather. Now, you know, they didn't necessarily believe it was. But they've been written into this epic story. Yes. It's very interesting.
1: It is, right. I wonder if that, if that weighed on Virgil a little bit is, okay, I'm going to bring these these well-known families into this. But also, one of them has to be the winner.
0: That's right? true. You know exactly. Is he, right. is, is he... It's distant enough, I, maybe. I guess so. It's distant enough. I thought you were going to say, I wonder if it weighed on him as though he were compromising his craft. Oh, yeah. Uh, by doing so, I don't know. Yeah, maybe. I doubt it. I don't. I don't think so
1: either. This is. Um, it's so well. It's so well described. Yes. And, uh, and uh, I mean the action scenes. They they pull you right in. Now yes. tell
0: me about Vin Scully. Vin Scully? Yeah. You know, the recently. Past- well, I know. I know the name. He yeah. was a. He was um, sportscast basketball. No baseball. Oh, see, yeah, I yes. don't know what I'm talking so about. So he
1: was for years and years the voice of the Los Angeles Dodgers, but he was one, also one of these guys that you know when it came down to playoff time. Um, you'd find Vin Scully in the booth because he just had one of those great voices and he was, he was famous for his ability to um, kind of know when to fill the gap with commentary okay. and know when to back off yeah right? when to be quiet so one of his most famous calls is, which is in my opinion the greatest moment in Major League uh, Baseball history oh, is really? when uh, Kurt Gibson hit that his famous home run playing for the Dodgers 1988 in the World Series a guy can barely walk and he comes up against Gibson. Gibson, right? Wasn't he with the Tigers? He was for many years, okay. right? And he's kind of at the end of his career, his body was 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 beat up. And Tommy Lasorda sends him in uh, to to pinch hit uh, in this world. I think It was game two of the World Series okay. against the great Dennis Eckersley, the great closer. You know a lot about baseball. I, do. I love baseball. I yeah, love baseball. and he golf's one into the into the stands, and it was it was what we call a walk off homer. Like mm. it, it ends the game. Yeah, and he's shuffling around the bases. And he can barely walk, and he's pumping his arm. It's it's fantastic. Uh, gu- uh, YouTube, see it. it on YouTube. Yeah. Okay. And Scully, who was calling that game, famously once uh, Gibson hits the home run, he says nothing, huh. and he lets the crowd go crazy and just kind of let the the scene speak for itself. Where That's I think wise. many many other announcers would uh, try to fill that space. Joe right? Buck. Yeah, yeah. he have been all over it, right? <laughs> We've been all over it, right? So, um, but we bring up. Vin Scully, because yes. uh, a lot of these passages, when Virgil kind of describe the action, he sounds like Vin Scully in the booth. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Yeah. Can I read a little bit
0: of the Lombardo here? Yeah, yeah, about yeah. Gaius? Exactly, right. All right, so they set off on the regatta. Are are you um, a boat guy? Are you a sailing guy?
1: No, I mean I grew up. my My grandfather had a a motor boat and such, but right, I I, I it was never my thing.
0: I've always wanted to take one of those barefoot cruises. Oh yeah, where you're down in the Caribbean and they teach you how to sail. That would be fascinating. Yeah, I'm afraid I get thrown in the brig or something though. <laughs> stranded on a desert island with you know one barrel of rum and some hardtack exactly
1: or or tossed off the boat like uh, which happens in the scene All 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 right so
0: gaius took the lead first slipping through the waves amid all the roaring cloanthus was next with better rowers but a heavier ship then equally far behind leviathan and centaur battled for third leviathan would pull ahead then huge centaur would pass her by and then they would sail neck and neck and cleave the salt sea with their curving keels it's like a horse race it is yes and it's a fantastic translation yes it's wonderfully rapid agreed they were drawing close to the rocky turn when gaius the leader on the course called out to his ship's pilot Minoites, why are you going so far to the right steer this way hug the shore let the oars scrape the rock on the left the others can have the deep water. Right. So,
1: Gaius says, "You gotta, you gotta, you gotta make that turn tight, right, man. Um, get as close to the rock as you possibly can, right. And Minoid- to save
0: to save time, to save right.
1: time, right. But so Menoetius is playing the safe route and, and kind of going out with the deep water mm-hmm. to slow things down. It and makes, what's going to happen? Well, Gaius gets very upset, and this is, I think, the first kind of real at least semi-comic moment, okay. right, where Gaius finally gets so upset and he pushes Moinoides, his pilot, <laughs> off the boat and into the water.
0: Right, where he bobs there, right? He's, he's bobbing. Can you read some of Lombardo there? Yeah. With the salt in his beard and I guess the you know, the spray in his eyes. Right.
1: So, I mean, so Gaius, he's taking this really, really serious. Right. And, and so, Lombardo says, he pushed the sluggish Moinoides off the stern and into the sea head first and took the rudder himself, urging on his crew, the captain, now pilot, turned the prow toward shore. Minorius, heavy and old, bobbed up from the depths and pulled himself out, dripping wet onto the rock and sat there. So, he's, he had to pull himself on the rock he was trying to avoid. Yes.
0: Right. So, he's the example of these the seasoned old athlete who's too conservative. Yes. Right. So, sometimes the seasoned old athlete we're going to see in the boxing match mm-hmm. has the upper hand and is more than a match for the inexperienced person, but sometimes... You become a little long in the tooth. Yep. You're not willing to take any of the risks that you would have jumped at when you were young. Exactly.
1: Just, your reactions are slower. Right? Correct. Exactly. Right. So, and Lombardo continues that the Trojans laughed when he fell, laughed as he swam, and were laughing now as he vomited up buckets of seawater.
0: Oh, that's terrible. <laughs> this would be on Fail Army, wouldn't it? On what? You don't know Fail Army? No,
1: is it like Funniest oh, Home Videos or something? Kind of,
0: but more um, grim. Oh, really? This is people trying to ride their bicycles down the stairs. This <laughs> just the unicycle ones and the skis are the worst. Oh,
1: no. Does not make yeah. you cringe? It's
0: awful. Yeah. I, I started watching some uh, when I was in London several years ago with mm. my son because it was the only thing on television. Yeah. It was, it was relatively wholesome. <laughs>
1: okay, I got gotcha.
0: you. Right, right. Yeah. And yeah. It's like America's Funniest Videos, but they're all people attempting to do mostly people attempting to do. Physically dramatic and demanding things and failing and
1: failing at it. Right. I, that sounds like something I need to check out. You should check it out. Right. So I mean, it's a it's a comic scene. I mean, uh, I mean, Virgil is he's describing people laughing at this poor guy. Right. But it also struck me as you know if, if we're you know, connecting the the light and the dark. Right. Um, is this not a in some ways a foreshadowing of what happens to Palinurus? Right. He falls
0: off the ship too. Oh, you gave it away. Oh. oh we what? didn't tell anybody that he fell off the ship. Oh, people don't know this? I don't know. Oh, okay. It's right at the end of book five. Well, we said it's very hard to, to, to avoid spoilers. That's true. <laughs> it is very hard to avoid. <laughs> drink more coffee, you know. <laughs> yes, uh, Palinurus gets thrown in the deep. Yes. But um, it happens because the gods take him as a sacrifice. Here in a comic way, Minoites goes under. Right. So Jeff, what happens next in the yacht race, and who wins?
1: Well, with that guy thrown off, it kind of it uh, it slows Gaius down for okay, a
0: bit. understandably.
1: Yeah, and so Menestheus and Sergestus, two of the other guys, now they see they see uh, an opening. Okay, right? so they're gonna they're gonna go for They're um, urging their men to kind of lean on those oars and get closer and closer and closer. Um, Sergesus goes in way too close on the uh, on the turning point. So he commits the other kind of
0: fault. Right. Right. So is this kind of the Aristotelian mean? Yeah. Right. Med Agon, don't do anything in excess. Yes. The first guy, you know, Gaius' helmsman, Minoites, I'm going to steer way too far out. Far way out. And the other guy says, no, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, um, tack right next to the rock. Yep. And get a big advantage. And what happens? He to runs aground.
1: Okay. Right. He, and so he's he's pretty much out of it. All right. And so the Menestheus um slips through and he passes Gaius. Okay. And he's the guy who tossed his, his his pilot out. Right. And then there's one more guy to, to um to to chase down. That's Cloanthus. Cloanthus. Right? And he's in the Scylla. Is that yes, right? Yes.
0: He's in the Scylla.
1: Right. So which you I, want
0: I, your boat to have a monster name?
1: It And he also and also in, in terms with, with Scylla, right? Um, represents half of that gap that you're
0: supposed to slip between Scylla yes, and Charybdis, that's right? That's correct. Right. No doubt. So, you're you driving a, what is it, Toyota these days? It's a Honda. It's a Honda, sorry. A Honda, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you have a name for it? Like yeah. a monster name? What yeah. is it?
1: We named it, actually, it's quite uh, the opposite. We, okay. We named it after a beloved neighbor who passed away. Oh, uh, this is kind of stinging. A... We call we call that car uh, Gertie. Okay. Right. And our van, we call Lois after Lois Lane. Right? Interesting. That was Uzbekistan's. That was her idea. Right?
0: <laughs> yeah. Do you have nicknames for your vehicle? No. Uh, we We don't, No. Yeah. We did when we were traveling cross-country. We named them the Odyssey and the Argo. Oh, nice. Just for fun. Yeah, yeah. But I'm thinking now that um, my vehicles should have these kind of monstrous, um, aggressive names like the Scylla and, um, you know, the Centaur and so forth.
1: But it would have to... Match in size and shape, make name, make Honda Civic, uh, Leviathan. Um, <laughs> then the incongruity is, is <laughs> funny. It's funny, exactly. Right. Leviathan. Right. Beep oh, we have got to finish the race though. Okay, I'm right. sorry. So I'm getting distracted. Minicius is he's gaining on on Cloanthus, and it looks like he's going to overtake them. But then Cloanthus, like uh, has been the lesson through many of these books, he's religiously correct. And he decides I'm going to pray to the gods, and maybe that's going to carry me over the finish line. So he prays to the the gods of the sea.
0: Is that right? What do you mean? In, in a moral sense, should you do that? In in uh, is it okay to pray to the gods for trivial things? In this epic, absolutely. Okay, right. Maybe it's not trivial. Right. Maybe that's the difference. Right. Well, it, right. As a Christian, I tend not to pray for. Trivial things, right? Right. Because it just seems sacrilegious, you know. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't go to the fridge. You know, may the milk not be spoiled, right? <laughs> right that right. that seems kind of. I don't want to bother God with something so trivial.
1: No, I mean it is a kind of a cliche and a joke about how you know you interview the quarterback after they win the Super Bowl, right? And they thank God for. You know, smiling on
0: their right. uh, their cover two defense or and whatever. Right? <laughs> doesn't that kind of doesn't that sit wrong?
1: I don't like it. So what's the difference yeah. here? Well, I, well, it's a it's a polytheistic system. Is that is that enough to explain it? I, I think so. You, you take it. You you um you take it, uh, the advantage of one god's favor over another. Um and uh, I mean the gods are these kinds of gods are so are so more human than human,
0: right? They, yeah, they're fickle.
1: They're fickle and they want to win too, right.
0: right? Maybe another way to explain it, if I may. Is that um, to them sports is not trivial? Well, uh, good, point. good if, point. If to them sports is not trivial, then you should pray to the gods for victory in athletics because this is serious business. Right.
1: There's no. There's not a separation between religion and badminton. That's right. right in this, yeah. <laughs> so Calanthus, uh, his uh, his prayers are answered. And it's like the the Nereids and like, you know, the the mer the mer people of the of, right. the of the sea pick up his boat and and carry him into the harbor in yeah. the first place. Ah. Yeah.
0: it's kind of a, it's a nice kind of uh fantastical nice. scene. Yes, yeah. yeah. so Disney would do something with that probably. Yeah, oh,
1: with the, yeah, yeah. ready made. Mm-hmm. And so, Cluentus wins, and and Aeneas is there to d- do all, to all the kind of the crazy prizes that he has in these bottomless trunks that he's right. carried for for uh, <laughs> so many months now, right? And um. And,
0: uh, he what, can... kind, what kind of things are given out? Um, what are uh, some of the prizes? Maybe we should detail those for the audience for just a minute.
1: So I'll give you Lombardo's translation here. It says, Then Aeneas, true son of Anchises, summoned all the crews in ritual fashion and proclaiming Cloanthus the victor, wreathed his brows with fresh gl- green laurel. So look wait, wait a minute. What? That's it? Well, no, there's more coming.
0: There's just green laurel? No, there's
1: way more coming.
0: When you ran the Chicago Marathon... Yeah. Twice, right?
1: I did Chicago once, Grand Rapids once.
0: Okay, yeah, you won, I assume. I did not. Okay, I was
1: way behind.
0: Did they give you a bagel at the end or oh, something? Th- there
1: was there was beer, there was bagel, there was cheese, there was a, well, no, there wasn't cheese. That was awful. <laughs> there was lots of stuff to eat, but I do remember when I was I ran it with a couple of friends, and we got to kind of roughly kind of the halfway point, right, mile thirteen, and the um the kind of the the buzz through the crowd started right. to spread that the winner had just crossed the finish line.
0: Oh, and yeah. you were at what, mile five? Was oh, it? Mile thirteen. Mile thirteen. Yeah, so sorry. halfway through. Okay, sorry. Yeah. Uh but they, they were not running for just a Laurel Crown.
1: Who who are we talking about?
0: The marathoners in these events—they were running for big cash prizes. Oh yes, Well, right? well
1: the elite athletes, of course. Right? Yes. Right. I was I was running just to hopefully finish the thing, right? <laughs> right. So I mean, the green, the the fresh green laurel—it's like an Olympic
0: okay. victory, right? And that's the honor and the glory,
1: the, right? The kleos. But there's more stuff to come. Okay. Right. So and then. He had each ship select three bullocks and gave to each wine and a great bar of silver. Hmm. The two leading captains... he Wait, a,
0: a bar of silver?
1: A bar of silver.
0: Okay. Yeah. That, what are they going to do with that? I don't know. Cash it in for,
1: for, <laughs> for dollars. I don't know. Okay. Right? Um, you don't have to get testy. I'm not testy. I, I'm, I'm feeling good. The two leading captains he singled out with special honors. To the victor, he gave a gold embroidered cloak with a wavy border of Melobian Port Purple and the woven design of a royal youth on wooded Mount Ida. That's a little bit more information than I need particularly, but it's a fancy cloak. You right? don't,
0: they don't like that detail? It's, it's all right. It's just,
1: it, it's a, it's a little much. Okay. A boy, and then it goes on, a boy keen in the hunt chasing down stags with his javelin. As he ran out of breath, an eagle of Jove swooped down uh, from Ida to snatch him up in his hooking talons. It's Ganymede. It is. This is what we call an ekphrasis. I was just
0: going to say that. I was just going to say that. Yes, exactly. Where the the kind of so,
1: work of art kind of comes alive and tells its own story.
0: That's right. Yeah. And I was going to say how could you put it down with yeah. your this is more information that I need. I this do. is what This is what makes a poet great.
1: I I, I you know I I I changed my mind.
0: Okay, you know, I good. Love, I love a good ekphrasis. Okay, you yeah. remember when Ovid describes the doors of the Palace of the Sun? Yes. That's a good ekphrasis. It is. The, okay. the the
1: shield of of Achilles, right? Mm-hmm. Perhaps the most famous one. Right. Book 18 of the Iliad. Going on, Uh, the boy's aged guardians lifted their palms in vain to the stars, and his dogs barked at the wind. So that's all about that cloak there. To to Menestheus who won second place, Aeneas gave a corselet with burnished links interwoven with triple-meshed gold that he himself had stripped from Demolius by the rushing Samois under Ilium's wall. So kind of a plunder from yeah, the Trojan War.
0: War prize. Yeah. So he gets this corslet.
1: Yeah. Could you wear that to parties or what could you do with that? I think it's an all-purpose corslet, right? For casual and, and formal events alike. Right? So, it's business casual. Wear the corslet. So it goes on and on and on. There's cauldrons, there's cups, there's more corslets. Um, I mean, he's just handing out prizes. He's the mm-hmm. candy man here. Right.
0: Right. And this, so. this shows his generosity, mm-hmm. his piety, yeah, genuine love for his men.
1: And he's kind of like as you know, he's routinely referred to as God is born, right? But he's acting in kind of a godlike fashion here, giving mm. out these favors, mm. you know, from uh, from the throne, as mm-hmm. it were. But Dave, we I think we we got to stop.
0: I think that's a good place to wrap it up. Mm-hmm. But also, we have to get out of here, right? Right. It's not
1: just a good place to wrap it up. We're under duress. We're under
0: pressure and duress. What's what's going on?
1: Well, they, they we got that the crew coming in to to kind of vacuum out or whatever they do with, uh, to get yeah. rid of that
0: brackish tang. Oh, that brackish tang that haunts us. It
1: does. It follows us around like a miasma. Oh, yes. as The Greeks would say
0: right. And yeah. uh, if the vomitorium isn't routinely debracked, yeah, uh, we got trouble.
1: It is. It's, it would be impossible for us to even do this thing. So
0: the cleaning <laughs> crew's coming in to clean out all the brackish tang. Right. Then we're good to go for next week
1: yeah, so we, we you know these guys they're all business they don't that's like us right. hanging around yeah,
0: get out of here yeah. already all
1: right this so, uh,
0: tang isn't gonna unbrack itself you know <laughs> exactly right we got some people to thank as always Dave who should we thank I think that we ought to thank Mishka yes. who is our sound engineer who puts this all together so nicely and so rapidly she's our Palinurus, but who does not fall oh. off the ship oh yeah, yeah. that's right yeah, yeah. yeah and I think she does it with good cheer she does I think so yep. okay we need to thank our wonderful musicians yes
1: yeah, Scott Vinzen and Ken Tamplin that's right um, Uh, Amazing musicians, uh, amazing guitar playing from Scott, and and Ken's vocals are unmatched. Yeah, he also
0: plays the guitar. If you like to listen to instrumental guitar and you are a Spotify kind of person, um, you can go check out uh, Scott's album, No Words, which is a really lovely... Instrumental guitar, and he, he, yeah, he's just really nice and
1: fantastic. And Ken, while he's famous for his vocal academy too, he's also he's no slouch on the guitar. Oh, himself, he's quite right? impressive. Yes, yep. fantastic. So yep. we're
0: thankful that they uh, let us use this music uh, with such generosity for mm-hmm. your charge. If you like the show and you'd like to get a shout out like our friend Matt Bell at the beginning of the episode, send us an email.
1: Yes, you can. You can uh, write to Dave. At Dave at nauseum.com. Don't forget the V.
0: Or you can write to Jeff at Jeff at nauseum.com We will reply. I don't think we have failed to reply to any emails. I don't think so. No. We try to be very diligent about that. Sometimes it's not right away. Right. But we try. Uh, what if they want a t-shirt? Oh, we'll go to nauseum.com. Again, don't forget the V. And, mm-hmm. ch- and check out our the
1: swag. Yeah, the Lurch uh, with Merch. The Lurch with Merch link. And uh, yeah. Uh, show your love for the podcast. Get yourself mm-hmm. one of these really, they're really sharp looking.
0: Yeah, the Ad nauseum T-shirt you can pick up an Erasmian themed Qui No Kent Yeah, the things that hurt help. Uh, we would love to see you sporting one of these t-shirts. Right. And next week, Dave, um, hopefully we'll we'll get to the end of book five. I think we will. Yeah. I think this is a two-episode book. Maybe we stretch it into three. We'll just kind of see what we happens. We have to see how it goes. Right, because it's so much fun. Right. And Dave, you have our gustatory parting shot. I do. And uh, I don't know if this one is so funny. It's a little grim, maybe, <laughs> but we'll see. This is from a woman named Susan Juby, The Republic of Dirt, A Return to Woolfield Farm. All right. I don't know much about it or anything but that. And this is what she says. Got anything to eat? I asked. You know where the gas station is, said my incredibly nurturing and maternal mother. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Thanks.